Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome back to some doggone good information. And I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Heidi. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Always enjoy doing these. So happy to see you and uh, excited about our topic today. We're taping this in uh, late June and the last episode we did was about fireworks and I got a lot of feedback on that because boy, people are just so nervous about, you know, that as check out that episode. If you haven't already, if you think you're going to be, your dog's going to be afraid of fireworks or any other scary thing, really. Yeah. Same um, thing applies to thunderstorms yeah. and loud noises and yep. any of that. Chances are if they're afraid of fireworks, they're afraid of all those things too. So really good information that I was really proud of that episode and on um, how much, you know, information. And now we're going to talk about warm weather because that's a huge issue with animals. And there are some considerations as I was preparing for the, for the, uh, this segment, some things that I kind of take for granted, but I was like, wow, that would be really good information. So that's our main topic, which will be coming up in a few minutes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and um, so a couple things I came across uh, this week when I was looking at doing my homework in that. One is just a, a, a kind of a thought or question maybe. How many dogs is too many for a dog walker? <laughs> you see some ridiculous pictures. And a woman in Australia got in trouble. She was on an electric bike and had seven <laughs> Seven dogs. It's not even funny, but um, I, I guess it's okay if they're all going in the same direction. At the same I would speed. crash so badly. So for me, I, yes. I'm not a good bike rider, so I can't even get my head around that. Add the motorized component to oh, that. Gosh, no. And they were pretty big dogs. So somebody complained about it. And Australia actually has a four dog limit. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, I meant to look and see if we have limits in this country because, or different states, likely it would be done by state or municipality. I do think there should be because we've gotten bigger dogs, more aggressive, can be more aggressive, and um, you can't hold on to them. Or right. you could be the one with 15 dogs and you've got little dogs who get loose and go cause havoc to the one guy who's walking his dog and has them under control. Yeah. I, there's just, you and I both know, there's no way you could control that. Well, and then the opposite happens is maybe your seven dogs are in control, but the one dog that's loose comes over to and you. causes a wreck yeah. for you. Yep. And there's yeah. no way you can manage that. You're going to drop some leashes. It's just going to go yeah. south. And um, so just just something I'm thinking about and maybe we'll we'll put a little more information about in. But and I know there's big money in walking dogs, so no doubt. When yeah. you know you see all those leashes, you're adding that up, and they're like, "Wow, I'm making out on this." I personally wouldn't do it. I'd be terrified to walk that many dogs. Well, then it goes to the idea of uh, quantity versus quality. Yeah, they're not getting a good walk. They're not exactly. getting uh, eyes on me working dog walk, and they're not even healing, right? Because right? yeah. there they are, fanned out in front of you. So, in my opinion, you're losing on all fronts. And maybe if it's your dog, you're thinking, well, at least my dog got out of the house. And yeah, there's some merit to that, but there's more negative to that to me than positive. Yeah, you get what you pay for, probably. 
Yeah, so um, I wonder if, like the people whose dogs they were, if they knew that yeah. <laughs> that gal, so that Sheila was out on the bike with <laughs> seven dogs. <laughs> so, and then the other thing that's on my mind, and I've been meaning to talk to you about this, and we may very well do an episode on this, but we'll just kind of skim over it. But dog foods and the whole raw diet. Oh yes, I'm I'm really more intrigued with it. I, I'm kind of a Purina girl. Um, Purina, are you listening? I'm available <laughs> for sponsorship. Ambassador. Uh, I, you know, I'm the third generation trainer and grew up with Purina and we traveled around the country and it was a dependable uh, brand. Yes. And I also am a person who believes that the scientists know more than I do and that they formulate the feed. So I'm yes. not a big supplement person if, if there's a real need I will do it, but for our dogs and horses, and they make an exotic animal feed called Missouri, M-A-Z-U-R-A, Missouri feed, for okay. that a lot of zoos and such use. And, yeah, you know, yeah, you hear about issues in that, but I'm more intrigued beyond the, beyond the brand itself. I'm more intrigued with the raw diets not being um, hard or a kibble or it doesn't sound like they're a bone like a hard bone like they're giving a dog a raw piece of steak or something right. you may know more about that than i because of the vet and such oh we ran into it a lot when i worked for the vet clinic there's a lot of people wanting to uh feed their dog more natural and and these kinds of things um and you run into a lot of problems on several different ends of the spectrum um one anything raw uh, you have food contamination issues. Right. So salmonella, E. coli, those kinds of things. So if, if you're using a meat product um, and you're not cooking it to a particular temperature, there's a pretty significant risk um, of contamination. And dogs can have food poisoning just like humans can. Right. Um, so yeah, I've heard it can go through that. them and people say, I see in the commercials, oh, it's an adjustment because your dog was on terrible food, so they're going to need an adjustment. No. So they're going to have the runs. And no. we need to do an episode on this. Let's, oh, let's, we could do let's plan to do it because I know you probably have some good information. And yeah, I uh, could talk for hours on that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot, but this comes to mind for me. Years ago, David Letterman was a the late night talk show host mm -hmm. um, and a comedian, but very dry. And something on uh, the food Alpo, I don't even know if it's still around, but they, they declared Alpo didn't have a speck of cereal in it. That was like the new advertising campaign. It's probably 30 years ago or so. <laughs> and David Lederer comes and he goes, interesting. Did you read, you know, in his monologue, did you hear about Alpo? Not a speck of cereal. He says, uh, my dog Skippy, <laughs> I love this. My dog Skippy spends the day drinking out of the toilet and eating out of the garbage. So chances are he doesn't mind a speck of cereal. A little cereal is okay. <laughs> Not that people let their dogs drink out of the toilet or eat garbage anymore, but you know we're so so nervous about our dogs. But I always it come happens. back to that, and it goes back to practicality and getting back to being realistic and practical and not so emotional and anthropomorphizing, I think. Uh, yeah. So all things that we keep yeah. circling back to in, in these episodes. Yeah. Best practices. So yeah, yeah. let's do that. I, I will make a note because I really think, you know, I'm hearing from clients and stuff too. They ask me what I feed the dog and I feel like such mm. a simpleton, but I definitely want something hard that, you know, they're, 
teeth are going to use and such, you know? Yeah. And actually the, the, a lot of foods are designed to crunch and crack off the calculus that builds up on the exactly. Teeth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there's actually a good reason to have a dry kibble. Yeah. So I think, I think we need to take that on. So, um, yeah, we can absolutely do an episode. Yeah. We've, we've gotten so far into this episode already and now we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll transition into our main topic before we're out of time. Yeah. And uh, I'm Heidi Harriet. This is Tommy Fahey. And we have some doggone good information to share with you because we are going to talk about our main topic is warm weather and considerations for your dog in the warm weather. And Tommy, I'll let you start out here. Yeah, so as kind of is the my typical routine when we come up with these topics, I just do a quick Google search and I see what pops up. Yeah, because exactly. I'm, I'm curious what's out there if you just Google this really quickly. Yeah, totally um, agree. And it's all the standard things. It's um, you know, in the the hot weather, avoid midday activity. Um, be careful on hot pavement. Uh, you know, those kinds of typical things. Um, and then the other one that you see is then what to do if your dog overheats. And there were a lot of interesting tips and tricks and things that. Um, I think probably that's more important to maybe talk about and cover and, and talk about why certain things work or maybe don't work. Okay. Um, so obviously the, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's easy enough. So if it's going to be hot weather, you know, you need to avoid, uh, walking your dog on hot concrete or asphalt. Um, if you can't walk on it with your own bare feet, you shouldn't have your dog walking on it. Um, I just so read, I read something, I don't know if this is scientific, but the, I, the source was something like the Red Cross or the AKC, so a credible source, that uh, the concrete, especially a dark, you know, anything darker, could be 46 to 60 degrees warmer than the yeah. air temperature, and to put you, the top side of your hand down on it for at least 7 to 10 seconds. Yep. And see if you could tolerate it. So didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, that, that's a huge one for me. That's starting right there. Yeah. I tested out, actually, I have a a concrete patio on right out the back of my door uh, in my backyard and the sun hits it all afternoon um, until about five thirty six o'clock. And then it starts to get shaded. Um, And usually I take Jimmy Dean out in the backyard in the evening and I throw the ball for him and kind of get him his exercise Um, but I'll sit on that concrete stoop and, uh, throw the ball for him. And it doesn't take long if it's been super hot all day long, um, that I can't sit there very long. Heat rises up. Yeah. It, it bakes right out of the concrete. Um, so if that's too hot for me to sit on, I know that we can't go walk down the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, and then it takes till probably, you know, eight 30 or nine o'clock at night before that's not. Uh, so intensely hot that I can't tolerate it. Yeah. Um, so it's several hours. So it's not just, oh, as soon as, you know, five o'clock comes around, it's the sun's gone down a little bit. No, it, you got to let it cool off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the basic prevention is walk your dog early in the morning or later in the evening uh, out of the intense times, those kinds of things. Um, and then um, avoiding the intense heat avoiding excessive uh, exercise during that time. So if you are going to go out to a park or into your backyard and throw the ball, you have to be the one that tells your dog it's time to quit. 
um, especially for a high energy, high drive dog. Good luck um, with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, a lot of people think, well, I'll just let my good dog go until he's, he's done. Until he's done. Yeah. But you have to be their conscience because if they're a high drive dog, they don't quit. Yeah. They're just, they're bred to keep going. Um, so you do have to be really careful with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, prevention obviously is a big part of it, but then what do we do once the dog actually overheats? Um, and, and what are you looking for when the dog overheats? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cause dogs will about, pant, right? That's the yes. first layer is your dog is going to pant, but they can pant without being completely yeah. overheated. They're There's just normal panting. And what does that look like? And everybody's seen it. It's the, the tongue is kind of a big signifier with this. If the tongue is straight out of their mouth and of a normal size, probably everything is fine. And color, does color come into play or not? Like the color person with your into play, But of course, dogs have different colored tongues based oh. on their own pigment. So you have to know your own dog. You should know the pant of your dog. Yes. And the tongue. To You got to have your base, your baseline. Exactly. Right. So pay um, attention to that. Yeah. Pay attention to what their normal is so that you have something to compare to. Um, so when you start to see the end of the tongue uh, start to get larger or inflamed. Um, now, you know, the dog is starting to, to not be able to keep up with dissipating the heat. Okay. So what's happening when the dog is panting is they're bringing in cool air to their lungs and they're pushing out the hot air, but they're also putting air past their tongue, which is highly vascular, lots of blood flow. So they're dissipating, uh, heat from their blood flow of their tissue on their tongue. So now a lot more blood flow comes into the tip of the tongue to start to dissipate more heat. Um, So when you see the end of the tongue start to get a little bit more engorged, you know, it's time to kind of back things off. The other one you see, and this is where, you know, you probably have some trouble uh, is when the tongue gets so engorged that it flops off to one side or the other. You've seen that with, uh, yeah. with certain dogs, I have, they, yeah. can't, they can't keep their dog, their tongue straight in their mouth because it's so full of blood uh, trying to, to dissipate that heat. Right. So keep an eye on what is your normal dog's tongue look like versus when they're actually in heat stress. Okay. Um, and those are good signifiers. Um, Can we hose them see- down if we think... Yeah, I mean, so I would, I would, my first line would be if I thought my dog got too warm, just out running to go to the bathroom or whatever, I would, might hose them down So the and give them water that, also. Yeah. Depending on the type of hair coat that your dog has. So the fuller hair yeah. coats are designed to be insulating. Yeah. And so if you get that wet, and then the water isn't able to evaporate because it's got this dense hair around it. You're actually insulating the dog yeah. more so than just leaving them dry. Yeah. Now, if you can keep cool water running on them continuously um, and keep uh, sort of sweat scraping the, the dog's hair, uh, the water out of the dog's hair. So you scrape off the hot water, put more cold water, scrape off the hot water, put more cold water. You just keep repeating that. That's okay if you have continually running cool water. Okay. Or if you just have maybe a a kiddie pool or something, just get their feet wet. Don't get their entire body wet. Okay. 
Um, yep. So again, we're talking about blood flow. So their their uh, feet and their legs are going to have some blood flow going through them um, on their extremities, and then you're not going to insulate their core. So it'd be similar to a horse. We might like cold hose their feet if we don't have a kiddie pool. Exactly. Like just put a little cold water on, run it on their yeah. feet. And then water temperature actually comes into play here. Ice cold water is not your friend when it comes to this. And the reason for that is the colder the water, the more uh, constricting to the blood vessels. So the surface of the skin, you're going to actually restrict blood flow to it. So now it's not naturally going to be able to dissipate the heat like it would in a a normal uh, setting. So if you're constricting those blood vessels, now you're not getting the blood flow through the tissues where it can actually uh, process through some of that heat. Okay. So you want to think cool water, not necessarily cold water. Okay. Um, so you do have to be careful with that. Not in Florida. We don't get cold. <laughs> we don't get cold water out of our hose. There's no, no matter water. how long you run it, but <laughs> not making light of it. But and my son's in Vermont and. You know, it's ice cold water. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but you, you have to be careful with that. I mean, if you think about um, jumping into an ice cold pool, yeah, you actually feel hot for a few seconds. You know, your skin, uh, it, the blood vessels are restricting your skin, and you feel almost hot, and it's hypothermic kind of situation. Yeah. Um, so, avoiding the extremes is what it really all boils down okay. to. Okay. Well, good. Um, Yeah. Um, And then I saw a couple other things uh, in various places that I think could be a little uh, cause more harm than good. I think if you're not doing it inappropriately. Okay. Um, One I saw was using rubbing alcohol. Um, So dousing your dog and rubbing alcohol because alcohol evaporates quickly. And so then it has an evaporative cooling effect. Um, This is actually a tip that we use in horses. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this uh, in the horse world is to mist them with uh, rubbing alcohol because it evaporates quickly. The problems I see running into that is, are there any open wounds on the animal? Um, Because if there's anything open, it's going to burn and they're not going to be very comfortable. Uh, Two, are you in a well-ventilated space? Because if you just have rubbing alcohol evaporating, it's going to smell really heavy and it's probably going to uh, be harder for the dog to be panting and, and breathing. I was just going to say it'll affect the panting. Yeah, I exactly. can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. So you do have to be careful with that. Um, it would have I to can, be a short haired dog too, because yes, like my or dog's coat, you, you wouldn't really get in there. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I would be careful um, and, and probably wouldn't recommend uh, that necessarily. Um, and then the other one I saw, which I thought, kind of odd, um, lemon juice, spraying lemon juice or squirting lemon juice, uh, in or around their mouth when they've, uh, got foam, like slobber foam that they've been painting so hard that they're foaming. Um, and the lemon juice is supposed to, uh, the acid in it is supposed to break up the bubbles and prevent them from, uh, asphyxiating on the foam. So I see where they're going with it, but I think 
spraying or splashing lemon juice on a dog yeah. uh, that's in a stressed situation is maybe not the best choice. Yeah, because they're going to be very reactive to that. Um, yeah. Again, you're, you're, you're going to skew what your reaction is, and you're, it's going to be hard to, to diagnose. And if they do get to a worse point and you go to the vet, you're now dealing with secondary uh, reactions to right. things you've never done to your dog, potentially, right? Are, are we doing more harm than good yeah. when it comes to that kind of thing? So I, I would be cautious about doing any of those things. I would think that if you're at that point where you feel like your um, dog is in that that type of distress, you're on the phone to your yes. vet, um, or if you can't get a hold of your vet, some you know emergency hospital or something. Because yeah. at that point, um, so let's talk about. We'll back up and talk about how we um, some of the things that we could help do to help keep us from getting to that point. I have right. never had a. I can't remember our family and myself ever having a dog overheat to that point. I've seen a horse get overheated. And of course we, we cool off horses by starting with their feet and moving up. But where I wasn't sure, you know, I was concerned about the horse. They came out of it fine. But, um, so one is, uh, and I just did this yesterday. I spent probably four or five hours clipping my dogs. I have the poodle Otis, the big poodle. Yeah. And uh, he's a 70-pound poodle, and Trooper's my little multi-poo. And I cut both of their coats down because I'm not showing them. So I want them to look decent, but I'm more concerned about their comfort and yeah. cleanliness and uh, coolness. Oda's pants a lot, interestingly. He's also a nervous dog at the moment. Hopefully he's coming out of that. But So I cut his coat. Well, I, bought my, I do it myself, but bought the clipper blade that um, you know takes it down without skin skinning you know getting right. right down so and he was already cooler and uh so that was good so think about grooming oh my gosh i live in florida i know missouri's ridiculously hot in the summer people with um heavy hair dogs it just kind of blows my mind and they'll say you don't do that to the breed you don't cut their hair or do their hair i'm thinking you know well, i i want them to be safe and comfortable so i'd consider so my options it's a double edged sword okay uh, with with the heavier coated breeds um if you leave them heavy coated it's actually has an insulating effect yes i both understand to that. keep them cooler yeah. than, but but that being said, you have to make sure that they're not in direct sunlight. Yeah. You have to make sure that they have proper ventilation. Um, and then they need to be well groomed, meaning that you've brushed out all of their dead hair. Yeah. The undercoat um, type the thing. Undercoat yeah. when they, when they do shed out, um, they need to be well groomed and get rid of all of that dead hair so that the hair can function as it's designed to do. Yeah. If you're not going to do those things, um, and you're, you're not going to try to prevent your dog from exerting itself during super hot weather, then yeah, there's nothing wrong with shaving them down. Right. Um, but it can actually do a, a understood job, yeah. you know, if you keep them well, grown. nature, nature does that ducks, for example, they're, they, they don't overheat, but yet their down um, is insulating. And I grew up with llamas, and my father always said that about llamas because people will shear their llamas. And I think they shear them, typically would shear them for the hair, right, because yes. they utilize the hair. But I think 
and I could be wrong. I'm I'm far from alum expert, but I always thought there. And then people would say, "Oh, we got to share them because summer's here." But my dad would always say that they just what you said. If they're groomed properly and taken care of, their coat actually has the ability to keep them cool and keep them warm. Yes. So I I do understand that. And I was going to follow this up. I have a poodle, so I'm not as worried about that. I know I could take his hair down to a shorter place and that it will work out fine. But I was going to say, talk to your groomer, because I'm not yeah. at all an expert on other breeds that have that really heavy coat. I used to take my golden retriever's hair down, one for shedding and two just to, you know, keep her a little cooler. But we didn't yeah. do, I didn't do it as short as I would the poodle. Right. Um and then the other thing, it's summer months, you might be battling fleas, mosquitoes, or even ants, if depending on the part of the country you're in. So be cognizant of that. And even um, my dogs are on the flea, flea uh, next guard, whatever it is. So they uh -huh. don't act, you know, when I was young, fleas were such a big problem. We didn't have these kind of uh, uh, medications or pills or such we have now. We had flea collars, but... So yeah. if you lived in a sandy area, your dog was covered with fleas. Now, even my little multi-poo, if he gets a flea bite and you don't even see the flea, there are no fleas on him, he goes into a big itchy phase. So, um, you know, be cognizant of, of that, just trying to keep the fleas. Mosquitoes, I don't see such a bad issue, but on shorter-coated animals and such. But yeah, be, be well, aware we of that. We into ticks here in Missouri. Ticks, Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I know it. It's so and hard to look it, through a dog, a bigger dog that's not, that's a dark color. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the products, like what you're talking about, the um, Next Guard and uh, Credilio is another one that's along the same yeah. lines. Um, there's several others that are, are feed through, um, or there are ones that you can get from non prescription from any sort of. Uh, pet store or, or uh, farm store. Yeah. The difference is the, the kill rate, uh, the speed with which it kills the parasite. Mm -hmm. So the reason that these products are prescription um, is that they are much stronger and kill the parasite much quicker. Okay. Um, so there's, if you have a problem, if you know that you have a flea infestation or you're in a high parasite area, you really want to invest in the prescription products. Oh, I agreed. Uh, yeah. Because they it's not that the non-prescription ones don't work. They just work slower. And then that allows the parasites to reproduce quicker than you can kill them. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't uh, had good luck with the over-the-counter um, I, I do the other one and they, they, again, back to having a dog when, if you're thinking about getting a dog or another dog, the budget for that, for my big dog, yes. heart, heart, heartworm and the flea and tick prevention, yeah, like 400, some, maybe more for the, yeah. Yeah. And it goes incrementally more expensive by the weight. By the weight. Well, Otis is 70 pounds. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and exercising early and late, as we talked about. We have great parks here in Florida. It's hot, but we have these really great shady parks. So if I am inclined to do something in the day, like a walk or that, it's amazing how it can be 15 degrees cooler, you know, and the walk, the sidewalks don't get heated up. So if you can't do early morning or late 
for for whatever reason, you know, check out your parks and and yeah, find shade. Yeah, find shady areas. Um, so the other is uh, this just happened with uh, my dog has some puppies. He was taken out of a hoarder situation. Some of the females were pregnant. He's the he's the baby daddy. Um, <laughs> but one of the puppies I read on on the Facebook page has a pink nose. And we yes. see this with horses. So they sunburn and uh, yes. a horse with a, a pink pigment or light pigment. So sunscreen and there are apparently sunscreens for the dogs. I yes. will say I have used the the kitty sunscreen, but um, you could check into the. Is there any issue with that? Um, not that I know of. Um I would say probably um, you want to use like the sensitive skin type yeah. uh, products. Um, the ones that have uh, less general chemicals in them. Um, in horses, I we used to use, uh, it's called no ad sunscreen. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it's, um, it's basically, what is the uh, product Z- that's uh, zinc oxide? Zinc, zinc. Um, yeah, and it's, it's basically just, uh, zinc oxide in a uh, liquid form um, yeah. it doesn't have much else in it um, and zinc is and, great because it it's not actually penetrating to change the derm of your skin it actually just sits on top of it yeah it, and you think of the yeah. old uh, lifeguards with the white nose yeah well that's, that's me the, that's me yes. when i'm training horses because i've had nine surgeries on my face i've lived and worked outdoors most of my life All, my eyes everything tear ducts and yep. I have a great plastic surgeon, as you can see. <laughs> but the zinc, I love because the other stuff, I hate putting chemicals on my skin. So yeah. the zinc is wonderful. And when I'm active, it doesn't roll into my, it doesn't sweat down, right? Yes. And you do have to take it off with uh, some oil or that, but it's great. So yeah, I would I would be inclined to use that. I wouldn't think even if they licked their nose that the zinc would pose um, a lot of problem, but right. I'm not an yeah. expert on that, but I know I haven't done a lot it. of research in that, uh, as far as specific products go, but, um, like you mentioned, the licking it off is probably more of the problem than anything else. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and, yeah, uh, I'm sure if you want to go to the pet store and buy a doggy sunscreen, you can find that no doubt. There you go. Um, one thing they do for zoo animals and um, very popular for, for warm weather and also enrichment is make pops. Like for any uh, marine type mammals, they'll do uh, fish in ice and uh, they do it for bears as well. So yeah. one of the things I read I thought was interesting is broth ice cubes. Yes. Like beef flavored. Uh, some dogs like ice, some don't. My dogs wouldn't need any flavor. They just like ice. But, you know, keep some ice in your, um, in your, you know, uh, dog water bowl. Keep it cold. So I mentioned this on a prior podcast. I grew up, we didn't have air conditioning. I lived in Wisconsin growing up. And, of course, our summers, while they may get a little hot, they also only last for a few months. But we did not have air conditioning. And we had performing dogs who lived in a kennel. And um, it was fans and ventilation. And my father didn't believe in air conditioning for animals. He thought it was more dangerous because then when they do come out to work and run around, it's just like people. It's actually not good for us either. You're going to go out and run. You come from a highly air conditioned house. You go out and warm up for a minute. 
you're still adapting to that. So air conditioning is not mandatory for animals. However, if you don't use it, make sure you have a well-shaded and a fan uh, area that air is moving. And kiddie pools may be helpful, something like that. So, you know, just be very careful about that. My dog Otis loves to be on the porch and uh, I have a, I still have my giant horse fan and I put that on and um, I'll, I'll leave him out there for a little while and go check on him. And he has a nice big bowl of water with ice and he's quite content out there. He actually goes to the door and wants to be outside. But it's so from my background, I don't have any problem with that versus being in the house in the air conditioning. But yeah, I think it's a matter of all of what you get used to yeah. and what they're, what the animal is acclimated to. Yeah. Um, so for my situation, uh, this time of year, I'm gone most of the day out training horses and I don't take Jimmy Dean with me because it's too hot for him to be in the truck and I can't just turn him loose at these farms. Yeah. So he, he stays home Yeah. and he's in the air conditioning and I, I don't keep it super cold in the house, but he's used to being sort of a pampered dog, I would say. Uh, so when I am home during the day and I let him out in the backyard, um, he's ready to come in after five, 10 minutes. He's like, it's hot out here. Yeah. Let me get back inside. Yep. Um, but also I go to farms where there's farm dogs that don't ever go inside. Right. Don't, don't even know what air conditioning is and they're fine Yeah. because they have shade, they have ventilation and they have a water supply. Yep. Um, so it's kind of all in what they get used to. And then you have to be aware and, um, pay attention to what is your dog actually acclimated to and don't make any extreme changes. Yeah. You can make incremental changes over time, just like you would do for people. Um, but you, you can't do them all extreme all at once. Yeah. Um, I trained, (laughs) I was just telling somebody this the other day, two different times in Florida in the summer. And, you know, it's not only hot, it's very humid, which Missouri can be as well. I worked outside. One was a summer camp when my kids were young and I did not have air conditioning the whole time I was there, which was about 10 weeks. And I trained horses outside at Almara when uh, Arabian Nights, Mark Miller Mm -hmm. When Arabian Nights closed, they moved. They bought a beautiful farm out in Claremont. We were right on. I literally was right by the water by a lake. I was was waiting for the alligators to come up, <laughs> and uh, but I was under a big tree, and I acclimated. It was hard yeah. at the beginning. I started in July, but then I didn't want air conditioner. I wouldn't go in the air conditioned break room in the for lunch, yeah. and after work I would kind of take off my boots and stuff, put some shorts on and hose myself off and just sit outside for a while. And I actually, it was quite healthy in, in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? I, I felt like I, I was in a, I certainly lost some weight, but, um, but I just felt, it felt good once I got, you know, in the groove of it. And then at night when I'd go home into the apartment, I would leave my air conditioner you know, it wasn't, wasn't really cold in there cause it didn't feel good. So right. it, it is, it is what you get used to, you know? Um, so, okay. And, um, I think I had one more thing that I, uh, kitty pool, which I'm actually, um, going to try to encourage Otis a little bit more on that. And then because it's summer and we're cooking outside, so we'll have parties outside, especially if you live in the North, 
It's like, yay, we're, we could go outside in the backyard barbecue. Um, people like to let their dogs be part of that. So two things on that front. One is food scraps, including chicken or that. Be careful about that. Or not even that fall down. We have, you know, table surfers and such. Yes. So be careful because everybody's having fun. Maybe having some drinks, some tequila or something, something fun. Um, I would, of course, enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> mar- one more. I'm a one margarita girl. But uh, make sure, you know, that they're not surfing around and getting those scraps. Um, it's not really healthy for them, but just the like chicken bones or that. And yeah, you do have to be careful with cooked bones, cans, stuff like that. So just be yeah. careful about that. And the other is um, people coming and going. Make sure your dog's not going to slip out of the gate or the, the front door or something because yeah. lost dogs are a big problem as the weather gets warmer. Yeah. yeah. On the, the table scrap thing, um, again, it's all in what your dog is used to. Mm-hmm. If their diet 99% of the time consists of dry kibble, which is mostly recommended by most veterinarians, um, then even a small amount of a table scrap can be upsetting to their digestive system. My dogs are like that because they get no yeah. table scraps. Uh, if if they're a dog that gets table scraps every single day um, and it, it's a normal part of their digestion. Then they're <laughs> waddle. Yeah, they're probably going to be a little overweight. <laughs> um, but you're probably going to have less of a problem. Yeah, them. Absolutely. Yeah. But that another note on that is you have to think of it like um, the, if you have a small dog, one little piece of cheese is a huge amount of fat for them. Yeah. And we we kind of forget that in the volume of what we give our, our animals. Um, You know, what's normal for me as a 200 pound person um, is way, way too much for a 15 pound dog. So just small amounts of little things um, can be a huge factor as a part of their diet. Mm-hmm. So you think yeah. of it more in percentage of their body weight uh, versus volume of what we're used to eating. Yeah, for sure. Well, good. So you, um, the only yeah. other thing I wrote down was, you know, again, Florida is different, but up north where stuff grows then, and let's say your backyard, the dog has free reign if it's fenced in, what plants um, are toxic to animals? I'm a simpleton on this. My dad used to have the approach that if the animal's well-fed and cared for, they don't necessarily seek out the the thing that's going to be damaging, unless they're ill, in which case, like when a dog will eat grass, mm-hmm. if there's or an animal, even a horse, right, or my area horses and dogs so i i probably don't understand that enough and i've been fortunate because of the way i work with my animals but i don't know if you could speak to that because i don't i don't know how to identify the challenges yeah generally i would say i I agree with you i'm along the same lines as as, um, if if they have access to things that are healthy to them they're probably not going to go for the thing that's unhealthy Mm -hmm. um that being said, I know there is a huge issue in the summertime with uh, stagnant water. Uh, so ponds that oh, don't yeah. have any, uh, we get an algae that grows mm-hmm. um, that can be very toxic to dogs. Yeah. 
Um, so letting your dog swim can actually be a really major issue. Um, oh, okay. So you, if you are going to let your dog swim, you want to make sure that it's flowing water in a river or a stream, nothing that's stagnant in a pond, uh, man-made or otherwise. Um, and if the water doesn't look clear, you don't want to be there. Um, so just be careful with that. Well, probably where you'd feel comfortable swimming. Yes. level. Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah. Obviously, you, do you not live near the Mississippi River? I do not. <laughs> it's a little muddy. It's a little bit. I don't know that it's polluted, but it's definitely not clear. At least it's flowing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's uh, flowing. You wouldn't want to put your dog in there. They would be in the next town. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, we we hear this every summer. um, There'll be a a blue green algae, I think is the type that uh, can be toxic to dogs. Okay. So uh, that I think I've heard more issues with than just general plants. Um, cause if the, if the dog doesn't have a reason to seek out a plant, it's probably going to leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unless if they are going after it, there might be sickly or something. So it would be, right. it would be a clue that there's something else going on. Typically yeah. once in a while you get that dog, but. Yeah. And then you see dogs eating grass and, and there's lots of sort of wives tales about that. And, oh my gosh, they're sick or there's something wrong. Sometimes they're just taking a little chew on a, on a piece of grass. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. Um, so don't overthink it. It's when it becomes excessive, that's when you need to address it. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, that's kind of what I had. I liked where you went with um, what to do if they do overheat. But again, I think if you're, if you're uh, kind of just keep some common sense about this, Obviously, don't leave your dog in a car, even a few minutes. Never. An athlete, yeah. uh, I want to say it was an NBA player, maybe football, but just went and did a car test. And he's a, a athlete with great lungs, and he's very fit. Yeah. And he went and sat in a car, and he only lasted minutes and yeah. before he was like, I can't take it anymore. So... There's all kinds of graphs and charts and things out there that say, oh like, boy, that's know, within 10 minutes, it's 30 degrees hotter or whatever it is. Yeah. And um, again, don't, why are you taking your dog all these places? Um, if your dog can't stay home because they have anxiety about it, that's a whole different issue. Let's train our way through that. We can do exactly. that. I'm, I mean that with all my heart because then you want to do that anyhow, because my mantra, you're securing your dog's well-being for life, whether or not you are in their life and you don't have a crystal ball. And if you do, I want to know you because there's some things I'd like to know. But since <laughs> you may questions. not, yeah, I've got questions. Boy, do I have questions. <laughs> but since you likely don't have a crystal ball, if you're taking your dog to the store or putting him in a car and leaving the windows cracked because you don't want to leave them home, Boy, that's such a bigger issue that you're having with that pet that is probably your issue, but it's going to affect them. So are you doing it for you or are you doing it for the pet? Your mantra. Absolutely. So please, you know, if you take nothing away from this, you know, almost our conversation, please think about that. Um, anything to add on that? I think we did a pretty good job for it to think about. Go ahead. Yeah. The last thing I would say is, uh, like I, I said at the beginning, uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 
the other part that we talked about the tongue, knowing what's normal for your, your dog, um, TPR temperature pulse respiration. That's a basic thing that everybody, if you're going to own an animal, you should know what is normal for your animal. Yeah. Um, so don't wait until there's a problem to check those things, check them kind of on a regular basis, uh, to get an idea of what your pet's normal range is. Um, so it, they're all a little different. It's going to change significantly based on the size of the dog, uh, the breed of the dog, the age of the dog. Um, all of those things kind of come into play. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while when you're thinking about it, you need to kind of check those those signs. Um, have a thermometer that is dedicated pet thermometer <laughs> definitely uh, the only <laughs> don't mix those up thermometer yeah <laughs> you don't want to mix that up so have your uh, a dedicated pet thermometer um, which is a rectal thermometer correct because i don't i'm not aware that you can use any of the forehead or these uh obviously any of that type of stuff on an animal nothing with any accuracy yeah um and then when you look at heart rate and respiratory rate even temperature It's a range. Mm -hmm. It's not, there's a normal range. It's not a specific number. Yeah. Um, So I think the the classic human temperature was like 98.6. And so then some people panic if they're 99. Yeah. Well, that's not really a fever. Um, you know, so you need to know what your normal and what your pets. Yeah. Just the same in people that you, I told my kids this, you need to know your baseline. So that, and, um, yeah, it's a great point. I did have a thing about temperature, um, and what, what's the baseline for your animal and know how to take that temperature. Cause it'll save you a trip to the vet. If you call yes. the vet and they say, well, what's your dog temperature? I don't know. I can't, I don't know how to take a temperature. You may go to the vet to have them take a temperature to tell you your dog's okay. Get some, right. uh, either Vaseline or KY and, mm-hmm. uh, to make it a little easier and have hold on to that dog. To do. Yeah, and don't be apologetic. Oh, he doesn't like it. You don't have Who to does? ask him. Yeah, it's this is this is a measure that's really important. So correct. We got to get past that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and then one other thing is, um, if your dog is high risk, you need to be more careful. Okay. And that's part of the conversation. Yeah. So no, you know, if you have a a very young dog, a very old dog, a very overweight dog. Or a dog that's uh, brachycephalic, meaning flat-faced, um, smushed-faced idea. Any of those dogs are at higher risk yeah, for they overheat. heat problems. Mm-hmm. So know your dog. Know if they are higher risk and take more precautions. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, good advice. And um, all right. Well, good, Tommy. These are good. And I'll put a lot of this uh, will be in show notes for people to uh, remind themselves and you could play this back in increments too. And a lot to take in there, but definitely good. And, and we need to be mindful of this stuff. So very much so common sense and practicality, best practices. There you go. All right, Tommy, you have the pet peeve this week. So my pet peeve this week is, and this is something I think we've touched on it on different episodes. Um, but keeping your animal intact when you have no plan of breeding the dog. Mm. 
Um, and I, I see this happen frequently. Um, and for lots of people of lots of different reasons. Um, but, um, your dog is going to be safer if you spay or neuter them at an appropriate age, get the advice of your veterinarian on that one. Um, but just keeping your dog intact, um, increases the likelihood of unwanted pregnancies uh for males it increases their likelihood of getting hit by a car or into a fight with another dog um unwanted pregnancies on the female side and then uh infections uterine infections uh for females also Uh, so if you're if you have no plan of breeding that dog just have it neutered or spayed um And then if you do have plans to breed the dog, consider why you're doing it. Is it really making, um, you know, the next generation of animals and quality uh, animals, or are you doing it out of an emotional response? So my uh, Bob Barker moment, spay and neuter your pets. Yes, (laughs) but let's not spay and neuter all of them or we won't have any more pets. But that's exactly. what great breeders are for, frankly. It, that's exactly. why I'm You're, I'm a fan of good breeders because they continue to to provide pets that are you know have the the best traits and qualities. And um, yeah, so if we don't know what we're doing, we shouldn't necessarily be doing that. I will say, yeah. I did breed my golden retriever when my kids were young. We absolutely, she was just an amazing dog, very well bred dog. And I went to a breeder and um, not to buy a dog, but because I really wanted to have my kids to have puppies, we wanted to go through that. And it was emotional, but I really believed that we were going to reproduce a, a really good quality dog. And um, I'd always wanted to do dog breeding. It's something I still would like to yeah. do. So I went to a breeder and I worked with a few different people found one I liked because she was small too. I needed a small male and they had all the hip stuff and the heart. And so we, we bred and had just a great experience. And then I spayed her cause I didn't want to do yeah. it over and over again. I knew exactly what I was doing with it, but yeah, we're, and especially if you have bigger dogs, we've got such a glut of big dogs and bully crosses and shepherd crosses. If you're breeding those dogs, you know, why at some level, there's so yeah. many of them out there. It's If it's, you're breeding quality animals and you have a market, yeah, that's different. Yeah. And if you're doing it responsibly, that's a totally different story. Yeah. But if you just have a pet and you have no plans. Yeah, I agree. Them, um, and then if, if you choose not to uh, alter them, if you, if you choose not to spay or neuter your pet, then you are responsible if, a pregnancy happens or if a fight happens or if the dog, uh, you know, runs off those kinds of things. Um, so you need to be making sure that you're following best management practices to manage that intact animal. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, I feel passionately that way about stallions, horses. If if that's that a breeding horse, they live such a different life not being turned out with the other horse, not just being carefree and all that. I, I, I will never quite understand that. So, yeah, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Actually, Tommy, Tommy started, um, if you want to plug your, uh, 
Equine. Uh, equestrian Essentials. Equestrian new, Essentials. Uh, so it's a, a Facebook group. Uh, it's a membership group. And a friend of mine here in Missouri and I have put this together and we're doing uh, weekly topics that all have all things to do equestrian. Um, so we're offering our advice on all kinds of things. Uh, right. Training, my friend that's helping me with it, uh, she does body work. So she's doing massage and, and those kinds of things. Uh, so she offers tips on that. We're interviewing veterinarians, farriers, um, other professionals. We have a nutritionist um, that's, you know, covering all things that have to do with equestrian things. Good. So, kind of like yeah, doggone good information, only horse sense. It's horse specific. Yeah. yeah good. So, equestrian essentials on Facebook. Good. I wish you, I wish you good luck with that. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, terrific. We're up to, I have the training tip this week and, Again, this uh, is also uh, our listener uh, mailbag. And so <laughs> always aligns with my training clients during the week as well. And as we're talking about uh, the warm weather, all the stuff we were talking about there, it's making your pet being adaptable, right? I, I'm always amazed what somebody tells me, this was the one this week. My dog won't go out in the rain and go potty. Oh, geez. Yeah. And I understand. I open the door if it's raining out and the dog may not want to go out. I don't give them the option. I put on my raincoat or get my umbrella or just get wet and go out with them. But I have a no nonsense. Like, it's really no big deal. We're going to do this and you're going to go potty. They might not frolic out there as long as they normally would, but they still have to go. Conversely, what made me think of this too, related to the warm weather, you might not be able to take your walk, your two mile walk that happens to be a sidewalk that is not shaded at all. And um, you can't go late at night or early in the morning. So be adaptable and your pet, you know, you go down two blocks, you turn right and he goes poops in the yard that has the yellow door. (laughs) Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you hear these things. It's crazy. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're creatures of habit. And yes. So are our pets. And we, we, so on behalf of our pets, you need to, we, your energy comes through to your pet. They're, they're much more based on our energy and our feel than what we say. And at least in my opinion, so be adaptable in your mind and your brain and your energy and your dog will will truly embrace it. It even helps with fireworks, all of it. You just have mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're rolling with this. There's something new coming our way. I, you know, I load my dogs up to go somewhere they haven't been. I'm like, road trip, you know, yeah. and they're like, cool. So you want, what you want out of your animals to be inquisitive. Like yes. to, like, why are we going this way? Hmm, you know, hmm. And Instead of go. like, why are we going this way? There's scary stuff this way. And you're probably saying, I'm so sorry, but we can't do our regular. Don't do that. Kenneling your dog, any of that. When you're apologizing or telling them you're sorry, you're not, you're not making them adaptable. And if you've raised children, you probably know the best thing you could do. One of the best things is to make them kind of roll with it and be adaptable and not be so terrified at every new thing. So that's why training tip. It's absolutely in your attitude and your energy. And if you're even apologizing in your brain, like, oh, my dog won't want to do that. Just like if you're saying right now, my dog's afraid of fireworks and it's a week away, your dog's going to be afraid of fireworks. You're 
Yeah, you're already three steps behind. Yeah, so if you're saying, I'm sorry, we can't take that walk, we're going to take this walk, here's what you want to be your dog to be saying and you want to be portraying to them. Wow, this could be interesting. You know, mm-hmm. there could be more squirrels on this walk. Ooh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but kind of have a more fun, adaptable approach. And I can promise you that it will do do much better for you and your animal than the apologetic, it's okay, high voice and nervous energy. Yeah. So try it and let us hear from you. I, I challenge you to try that and let us hear from you how that's working out for you. We'd, we'd love to hear from you on all of this. So email us, animaltalespodcast at gmail.com and any of the social media as well. Yeah, for sure. We want to hear from you and have kind of that open dialogue conversation. Yep. You might, you might bring something to us. We're like, Oh, interesting. So yeah, we'll be adaptable too. How's that? (laughs) Okay. Well, great. It's been a great episode. Thank you, Tommy, as always for joining me. Yeah. Thank you, Heidi. And please subscribe to our podcast, share. This is important information. Share it with your fellow dog lovers and dog owners and rate and review our podcast. We also have a YouTube version so you can see us (laughs) as we're doing this. And uh, we hope you'll join us next time for more doggone good information.